Jim Cornette's been going on and on about this book called... Uh, it, it was written in the 30s. I think it was called uh, Barnum's of Bounce. And I bought it for Kendall. I've been reading it. I think it's pretty good. Have you guys read it? I haven't even heard of it, so... Goddamn motherfuckers, I've heard of motherfuckers giving away the goddamn business. If my, I don't know, these 1930 motherfuckers aren't guilty as well. How are you supposed to draw a goddamn dime if they're just giving away the business and shit? Fucking, oh, fuck all you flip mud show motherfuckers and these guys writing a goddamn book about it? Fuck you, motherfucker, for ruining my goddamn business before I can get in the goddamn business. As you can tell, it kind of breaks kayfabe. <laughs> all right, well, welcome to Tim Bell Pod. Goddamn. <laughs> The, the podcast where we discuss and biography deceased professional mat technicians. You gotta mix that up every time. <laughs> Let's try. We haven't uh, used grapplers yet. <laughs> grapplers. Synonyms. We need them. Uh, I am Nick Alexander, and I've got big balls. Beside me, Michael Loving. We've got big balls. And setting across from us, the king of camp style. Breaker of tents, Khaleesi of the one, two, three, mother of dragons, the Mad Scout Jake Batting. And she has big balls. Uh, I'm just glad you didn't give any spoilers on Game of the Thrones. Yeah, biggest, Game biggest, of the Thrones? Game of the Thrones. <laughs> hey, have you seen Game of the Thrones? My favorite movie is the Star Wars, so. <laughs> Today we are covering hardcore legend, ECW hero, a man who has the all-time record for standing up in the middle of a shoot interview. <laughs> Balls Mahoney. That dude can act out shit. He, uh, I think he would do really good in improv because balls could just rip on stuff over and over and over. John Reitner was born April 11th, 1972 in Spring Lake Heights, New Jersey. This day also, Benjamin L. Hooks was named to the FCC Federal Communications and the USSR performed underground nuclear tests on the same day. So balls was born on a very kind of boring day. Well, 1972, if we're going to do cool stuff that happened in the years, my uncle placed fifth in the shot put in the, that year's Olympics in 1972. Oh, yep. So there you go. <laughs> Help you out a little bit. Since you couldn't find anything, I had some personal experience what in was it on that day? Because that's Not, all. Oh, See, oh, God damn it. Well, you were struggling. Tell the story you were str- right. Okay, sorry. The next time that you're <laughs> treading water, I won't throw a life preserver out. That day sucked. Jonathan was a lifelong fan of pro wrestling, as was his best friend, Chris Candido, who he met playing Little League Baseball. I, I love the story in Chris's shoot where he talks about the first day he met Balls, and I think Balls had like a Roddy Piper t-shirt on, and Chris was by a, like a baseball field and Chris wasn't playing, but Balls just walked through the middle of a baseball game, and a ball was like hit. As, as balls, like a ground ball, and it slipped through like the outfield where balls is walking, and then balls just like saw this ground ball that was in play, and balls just grabbed the baseball before the fielder could get to it, picked up the ball, and just threw it over his shoulder. <laughs> Look at this thing. And walked over to Chris and started talking about professional wrestling. As you can tell, Jake said balls a lot right then. And I'm just going to go ahead and get past this. Uh, the commentators clearly love Balls Mahoney as they did because puns were plentiful. I'm going to go ahead and say a bunch that are out there so we can just get that shit out of the way. All right. All right. Um, like an improv scene, you know? Should we, should we do one, two, three, four, zip, zap, zap before we start? Uh, I mean, we could. Okay, Joey Styles. Oh, he smacked balls. There's a time and place to smack balls, and I'm not sure it's right now. Balls is hot. Oh, sweaty too. Michael Cole on this one. I think balls has just been deflated. We're going to find out. Will Mahoney beat Sandman or will Sandman lick balls? That's Rick Rude. 
And I mean, this is the easiest one in the world. Big Dick is choking balls. All right. Oh, because his name is Balls, and also that slang for testicles. No, no, no. You missed the whole premise. Oh. <laughs> I love their kind of meeting story because I feel like 99% of the friends I have in my life is because pro wrestling came up and I was comfortable enough to be like, you like pro wrestling? And then we were friends ever since. Friends? That's how 90% I get my bookings and stand-up comedy. (laughs) Like, you're also a pro wrestler? I like pro wrestling. You want to do my show? (laughs) Yes. And shout out to Nick Alexander. I guess so. John will give credit to Larry Sharp and the Monster Factory for training him at the age of 15, but if you remember from our Candido episode, they both started learning much earlier from Chris Candido's grandfather, WWF wrestler Popeye Chuck Richards, with Balls taking some of his first pro wrestling bumps at the age of 12. In Chris and Ball's later teen years, Candido and John used to work matches under a mask since it was illegal for them to wrestle underage. They'd finish the match, change really quick, be back in their street clothes before the athletic commission could ask any questions. Eventually, Balls would start focusing on amateur wrestling, football, and college, leaving pro wrestling behind. He was actually a good enough wrestler to wrestle in college before he blew his knee out from there, he tried to make it to the Olympics before getting banned from amateur wrestling forever. Uh, during the match, he had a guy in a reverse headlock, which is a legal move, but he broke the guy's back, technically winning. However, the ref DQ'd him, so John punched the ref in the face, getting banned forever because amateur wrestling doesn't understand hill turns. Stupid. Without fake-ass amateur wrestling to compete in, all roads led back to real wrestling. And Balls told a really cool story of when he came back from college to rejoin wrestling school. The trainer was like, here's how you bump. Here's how you lock up. So Balls eventually grabbed the dude in a headlock, caught a bunch of spots, hit the ropes, ran through the spots, and the trainer was like, oh, well, you want to be a teacher? Balls would eventually start legally wrestling around 92, first with his cousin in a tag team on small indie shows, and then after his cousin quit, he'd wrestle for Larry Sharp's World Wrestling Association as Abdullah Singh, which is a Middle Eastern character, hill gimmick, which I'm sure was handled completely respectfully. He would do the big fireballs at the beginning of the matches, and as Balls would put it, the way that he got to learn how to do it is like, well, I already learned how to breathe fire in college, fucking around with green alcohol and shit like everybody else. But then I discovered Thompson's water seal. <laughs> <laughs> he, he said uh, chugging, like having so much water seal in his mouth, rotted out most of his teeth. Yeah, which New Jack calls bullshit on and just says meth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I learned that trick in college, too, with green alcohol. Because I'm a, as you can tell, I have very hairy arms. Mm-hmm. So what I would do in college is I would pour Everclear on my arm and then wow. light my arm on fire and then put it in front of like a girl. I'm like, ah, I'm on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and but I would always make sure that I would turn the kitchen sink on in whatever like house party I was at and make sure I do it close to the sink so that I can go so I could scare the girl. Then immediately put my hand underneath the water. <laughs> so like every Monday after a party, I would have singed arm hair walking around. And if a girl was like not paying attention to me or the group of people that I would do this to, it was usually like a girl because it was th- their screams always made me happy, yeah. uh, <laughs> which is creepy to say. But especially I, when you said it was creepy to say, it's just it was creepy <laughs> to say. I, acknowledging it as well, but but like I said, because dudes were just like, "Hey, what's up?" They would never sell it, but right, like yeah. college. Ah! 
That's what I wanted to hear because I always wanted to get a reaction, heel or babyface, whatever. I just want a reaction. You're like, and, oh, we're gonna date now. And, and lighting my arm on fire was my cute way of flirting with women in college. Did it? Did it ever actually work though? Like, no, never. <laughs> a matter of fact, uh, putting out the fire almost didn't work one time, and I burned myself pretty good on that. I mean, hey, you really tried. That's really going for it. But to double back on him playing a Middle Eastern character named Singh, it just made me flash back to a show that I did in Oneida, Tennessee, where I wrestled a guy who was doing a Middle Eastern gimmick. I think he was also Singh or whatever. And, you know, normally when you play that part, you know, you'll put, put a turban on, you'll, you know... Put on like 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 a robe of some sort. You have an Iraqi flag or, or whatever it is. You you'll, you'll kind of dress the part. You'll get the curled boots. You'll do something to put it over. The guy that was wrestling in Oneida, Tennessee, where he was doing a Middle Eastern gimmick, came out in the orange camo, like No Limit Soldier style. <laughs> Had a the fucking most pronounced farmer's tan that I've ever seen before in my entire life. Most of them, my own father, who is a farmer. And like, he had like a black singlet top, but like didn't have an Iraqi flag or anything. He just announced him as such and such Muhammad. Wow. And came out to Arab money. And is that Mr. Cal? Yeah, whatever that is. <laughs> Make it Arab money. And he goes, this guy's from the Middle East. I'm like, no, that guy is from <laughs> up the street, and he is a landscaper. Clearly, I can tell by this tan, but he had nothing. And he goes, screw the USA, Iraq forever. And like, it'd just be like, if I <laughs> walked down the street and did it. So I'd like to think that Balls made it an, a genuine effort yeah. to actually do this better than this guy in Tennessee. Well, he put himself over when he started doing a uh, job work for WWF that he, everyone was blown away that he actually spoke English. English yeah. <laughs> so he's like, hey man, I was fucking committed. I was method acting that shit. Which is a good tie-in. Larry Sharp hooked Balls up with some enhancement talent spots for WWF under his real name. And you can see John Reichner hold his own against people like Papa Shango, Marty Jannetty, Virgil, and Ugh. Men on a Mission. Speaking of era money, what about Meat Sauce money? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck meat Sauce Mafia. Blah, blah. Balls also worked in Puerto Rico, first for Hugo's All-Star Wrestling, which he loved. They took care of him. They paid him well. Then for Carlos Colon's World Wrestling Council, which is literally the opposite. Balls even had a story about the piece of shit that murdered Bruiser Brody, Jose Gonzalez, implying Balls would get hurt if he didn't start selling a little better. They were also dicking him around so badly on his money that Balls lost like 20 pounds when he was in Puerto Rico because he couldn't afford food. Boiled chicken and peanut butter and banana sandwiches every night. <laughs> that led to Balls and Abdullah the Butcher getting minor payback on Jose. Balls said that he and Abdullah were wrestling a tag match against Jose and Carlos Colon when Butcher signaled Balls to cut off Carlos Colon. Abdullah grabbed Jose, says, this is for Brody, and then decked the fuck out of him. And then the two left the country before also ending up in the shower. In 1994, John began working for Smoky Mountain Wrestling, joining best friend Chris Candido in the promotion after Chris actually gave Jim Cornette a tape of Balls Wrestling. There, he'd be Boo Bradley Jr., a playoff Boo Ratley from To Kill a Mockingbird, and since the character was based off of a character in an insane asylum, Boo was mentally handy-capable. Is that the term? I, or as Balls described it, a likable but nutty badass retard from the streets of New Jersey. 
Uh, <laughs> also, too, uh, maybe you can answer this question for me, Micah. Yes. Smoky Mountain, Jim Cornette's promotion. Yeah. Yeah. And he was probably the one that suggested he should be Boob Bradley, making a reference to the movie To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. Uh, when way. was To Kill a Mockingbird made? 55, 56. Okay. So a movie in the I 50s that we are referencing in 1992. So Jim Cornette's reference, we're still old, even oh. <laughs> in his prime. I saw Jim Cornette cut a promo in a late 90s indie show and make a Dick Van Dyke show <laughs> And it just makes me think, what was the year? You know, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not the shit on Jim, but there is clearly a year in Jim Cornette's mind where like, all right, everything from right here <laughs> and on is shit. Music, television, everything. I don't need to learn anything else. I don't need to, to, to watch any more movies. This moment right here is where I will decide that culture, life, and this world. And it's, it's like that guy that proclaimed in the year 1901 that all the inventions in the world have already been invented. <laughs> that everything of worthwhile is here. And, and, I, and I wonder if it is somewhere in 1990 or somewhere in 1991 or, or wherever it was. Like, I, I have a theory that maybe Jim Cornette saw Suburban Commando and said, all right, <laughs> movies are no longer worth seeing anymore. There's always a stressor. There's something in someone's life. First big breakup, something like that. I feel something. like a girl broke Jim Cornette's heart and he was done. Done. <laughs> There's something in his life. And, and I, somebody hurt you, Jim. And, and I want nothing but the best for you. And I want you to live the best life possible and real, realize the joys of the world that exists before you and in front of you, sir. Cut to the video of him yelling at the woman at the Wendy's. <laughs> you or, fucking cunt, you don't think we ordered it? We don't want it? <laughs> or cut to the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> if you've ever seen me do stand-up, I just do jokes about the 90s, and that's it. Like, Y'all oh, yeah. no, seen Bebe's kids? Like, that's it. That's, that's all I got. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, he's wrong, because I do the same thing. I just did a bit about uh, the movie Star Trek V. Like, <laughs> it's 80s, you know, it's solid. But also, uh, to talk more about Balls Mahoney, who is the topic of discussion at Jim Cornette, in Smoky Mountain is where he got to wrestle George South, who is... Oh, shit. He, who is the our oracle, as you say. I say he's our deep throat. Um, but basically what I do when I do research for these podcasts is I go to George, I go, I have a question. I go, what are your thoughts on so-and-so? And his first reaction is always where I like to lead with. So when I go to George, I go, what are your thoughts on Balls Mahoney? I got, oh, I love him. George was telling, telling me, which is something that's very true with all wrestlers, is that whatever the gimmick name of that person, when you met them and you call them by, like I still call Cesaro Claudio. He's Claudio. Yeah. Because that's how. Totally. I met him, knew him. Hero is always hero. He's not Ono. He's not. Uh, yeah, like, and Kevin Owens is Steen to me. Will always be Steen to me. Brian because, Danielson. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> however, you were introduced to me, and I know you. Sterling Golden. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who was that again? It's Hulk Hogan. Oh yeah, shit. Yeah. So whoever you are, introduce me, and that's who you are forever. So forever. In George's interactions with Balls Mahoney, he was Boo Bradley. Boo. He's like, oh, it's Boo Bradley. Hey, Boo Bradley. <laughs> like, he would just, that's how he interacted with him. And apparently, Balls fucking hated it. Oh, no. Oh. Fucking hated being called Boo Bradley. Even years when George was like, hey, Boo Bradley. Like, and, like, he would just, he'd be excited to see George. And George would be like, hey, Boo Bradley. And he'd be like. <laughs> <sighs> he would always say both names. He would just go, hey, Boo. 
No, he, <laughs> Boo Bradley. He just he'd say the whole thing. But George talks very highly of him in this time. And George is like, oh, I used to wrestle him all the time. And George tells this one story of the finish that they would always do with, with Boo Bradley when they'd be going around wrestling on Smoky Mountain shows where Boo had this teddy bear. And Boo would body slam George, then take this, this teddy bear and put it on George's chest. And then he would climb to the top rope and, and go for a, a splash. And, of course, George is like, oh, when he body slammed, he'd take his time climbing to the top. And, like, the bear would be on my chest. And, like, he's, like, 300 pounds. And he's going to top rope, and he's going to murder me. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm, I'm talking to the bear. I'm, I'm telling the bear, like, bear, I don't want to do this. Bear, I, I'm afraid I'm going to hurt. Bear, I, I want to move, but I can't move. Oh, oh bear, I, I'm, a re- I'm really scared right now, bear. Oh, bear. oh, bear, he's jumping off the top rope. And then George said when he came off the top and went for the splash, felt nothing. She was like, he didn't even hurt the bear. <laughs> the bear was fine. I was fine too. Like, so he, he talked very highly of Balls Mahoney and his work and his ability to protect and take care of guys, which I'm sure Steve Ocarino later in this podcast will say something very different <laughs> about him in ECW. If you can remember who Balls Mahoney is. Yes. In Smoky Mountain, Boo would come out to Magic Carpet Ride by Steppenwolf. <laughs> And <laughs> proving my point further, <laughs> I feel like it came out to <laughs> in Ohio Valley. He was using Frankenstein by uh, Edgar Winter, <laughs> and this was like in 2003. Jim Cornette was still using songs from the 70s and in, in the mid 2000s. He just quit, he just quit after a while. He just right. stopped, and it's okay. I feel the same way too, and I have the same issues, but there's a point where it's like, you know what. You have to reach out to the kids and ask them, what are you interested in? And so I can then, as an entertainer and a performer that puts something out there, connect with you. Because those people that were around in this area that grew up with you, the people that you connected with, they will eventually die like everybody else. And then you have this new crop of people that you ha- now have to evolve and entertain as well. Look at, look, be, a, be a David Bowie. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, Cornette loves guys like ACDC, guys that do the same you know, power chords of metal and over and over and over again. But I would rather look at somebody like a David Bowie or a Prince or somebody who has evolved over time and revamped the character and connected with different generations of people. Boo would form a stable with his pal Chris Candido as well as is someone playing a maraca or is that Tammy Sitch's belly full of pills? Boo Bradley. I I was I was thinking, sitting here thinking like man I, I I hope I hope I'm not too hard on Cornette like I, I like I like I, I there are things about him that I like I, I don't agree with his opinions but I do enjoy being around him and interacting with him and he was nice to people who I cared about uh, very deeply for a very long time and he's been a good person to me every time I see him and I'm like man am I being too unfair and then all of a sudden you fucking drop that in and it's like alright so at least at least you get the Nick Alexander Tammy Sitch treatment so you got off easy Jim you got off easy <laughs> so uh, Boo Bratley won the TV title from Lance Storm in September of 94 after decking Lance with a fistful of chains after, when the ref was distracted by Sonny Boo eventually got over as a sympathetic face, making Chris and Tammy turn hill on Boo, killing the poor man's cat, Boots. Poor, poor Boots. Um, I finally got to watch this. He's supposed to beat Cactus Jack, because that's the whole thing. 
They lose the match. They do the old bait and switch where they have a real cat, and then Tammy puts it in the bag, and they chase him off, and then they run back, and there's the bag, but obviously the cat's gone. And then it's not so much a leg drop that Chris hits, but a butt smash from the top <laughs> rope on this poor fucking cat. And as Cornette said, it's like, that, that place went quiet as hell. It was like uh, it was like the garden when uh, Ivan Koloff beat Bruno Sartino. <laughs> it, it's pretty amazing. Boo, uh, he gets sad. He consoles it. Mark Curtis, uh, WCW ref. He throws him out of the ring. And then a fucking red Power Ranger comes into the ring. Boo throws him out. He consoles him more. And immediately we cut to a promo of Chris Candido getting all pissed off. He's like, stupid cat, blah, 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 blah. And then we cut to a uh, a wooden cross that was clearly handmade that says R.I.P. Boots. And we begin a Cactus Jack promo talking to poor Boo as he sits there. And Cactus is like, all the good that was in that cat, it's gonna you're going to pass it on and it's going to be great. And all the evil that was in Candido, you're going to make them pay. And uh, Cactus is in full mode. And it's one of the most amazing there's a wrestle crap article on it if you can't get the video it's 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 so stupid it's great in that recap didn't you forget the part where somebody flips somebody with their dick like yeah i think they i think you forgot that part in there because that would have all tracked <laughs> you'd be like oh and then somebody came joey ryan came in and flipped somebody with oh, his okay. dick. <laughs> right right so from there boo would kind of stay in the tv title pitcher and feud with D'Lo Brown but by the end of 1995 Smoky Mountain Wrestling was closing its doors so Boo Bradley was out of a job. Without a regular paying gig, Balls worked at a gas station until he got a call from Bruce Pritchard and WWF which had to be exciting and life changing and thrilling all Balls ever wanted to do was work for WWF but then they gave him his gimmick. And that in Your House 5, Season Beatings, December 17th, 1995, Boz would debut as Santa Claus, spelled with an X because it was the 90s. These aren't your old man's consonants, you swear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, lo- and looking at it, 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 it almost looks like Xanax. Yeah, it does. Which... <laughs> Would have led him to end up in Sonny's belly, which uh. most people did in 1995. <laughs> 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 Jake is so proud of himself. <laughs> Jake, Jake just dropped all three of our mics. It's <laughs> uh. pandemonium here in the Manning Cave. <laughs> So at season's beatings, Million Dollar Man walks down to the ring while Savio Vega and Santa Claus are handing out gifts to the crowd. DiBiase eventually heckles Savio into the ring while Savio is bickering with Ted. Santa Claus attacked Savio Vega from behind because everyone's got a price, even old Saint Nick. As silly as this is, Santa Claus, they were like really trying to get him over like he had a match on december 23rd's superstars led to the ring by ted dibiase and squash match scott taylor santa claus once beat up scotty tuhati and like ted was cutting promos on him on episodes of raw he had vignettes he was i mean they were really gonna roll with this but apparently this gimmick got thousands of phone calls and letters from angry parents because they were really put in a pickle. Do I tell my kids that Santa or pro wrestling is fake? <laughs> you know what? WWF 
has always had a sordid history with Santa Claus. Yeah, they have. They're, they had that issue on primetime wrestling where Roddy Piper beat the shit out of Santa Claus <laughs> when it was really Bobby Heenan dressed as Santa Claus, but they didn't make it clear that Bobby Heenan was underneath. Yeah. And then, of course, Austin stunned San- yeah. Santa Claus. Like... There is there, there should be like a 30 for 30 on <laughs> the the aspects of Santa Claus. I remember doing a show, indie show in North Carolina in December and we had Santa Claus come out and we had Santa Claus get the shit beat out of him thinking that his baby face was going to come out and make the save. Well, Santa Claus got beat up but the baby face didn't know what his cue was, so they put like a whole match worth of heat <laughs> On Santa Claus, when really should have just been a bump, babyface hits the ring. No, no, no. It was like straight up, I'm just beating the shit out of fucking Santa Claus. <laughs> He's going to die. Kids and are crying in the crowd. Yeah, it, it got real, real <laughs> fast. Fuck the so, babyface, bring the paramedics. <laughs> so if you're like worried about like, oh, is pro wrestling fake or is Santa fake? No, everybody believed both yeah. in that moment <laughs> because of that angle. A few days after Christmas, Zanta gets a call from J.J. Dillon, who explains that the gimmick isn't going to work. They offered Balls a developmental deal, which kind of would have kept him in wrestling purgatory from anywhere from three months to a year, since he didn't want to do that, and mostly because leaving meant Balls would get paid right away from in your house. They decided to settle on his contract, and that was that. He spent the better part of 96 hopping around the Indies until 1997 when he found home sweet home in extreme championship wrestling. Like eventually, like when people think of balls in ECW is the jean shorts and yeah, the singlet. And then of course he had like a t-shirt or something. Like, usually like short a, hair too. Yeah, usually like a Marilyn Manson. But like during this time when he first came in, he had like this weird <laughs> biker uh, outfit. As it was described to him, he was going to be a sadomasochistic gay biker. That was the original gimmick that Raven okay, gave him. Okay, they never... Okay, I was going to say, like, uh, like I never got the backstory on what that was, and I just... That was I, it. Okay. <laughs> so, like, they, they, I don't think they did promos on it being that way. He just came out like that, and it was just yeah. really weird because he had a I little biker hat any, on. Because Balls didn't really do many promos at all, so they didn't really build it up. But, and he had no, like, gay-themed moves to no, start with. But he had some, <laughs> but he had some badass matches with Sandman when he first came oh, in. Oh, God. The, the way that he would destroy Sandman's brain with those chairs. And they would have, like, a winner gets a beer match. And then they would just end in a no contest. <laughs> <laughs> and also, it's funny. Like, this era of Balls, where we're at right now... If you take a picture of balls in this era and put it next to a picture of Zane Riley, I have that in my notes. <laughs> it is fucking scary. Yep. So much, in fact, so much, in fact, that I believe it might have been like five years ago, maybe six years ago, at one of the first Wrestle Wrestlecades in Winston Salem, Zane Riley was was with us and behind our merch table, and we were just kind of hanging out. Of course, I had all these stars come in for Wrestlecade, and Zane was just sitting behind our table chilling, and somebody came up to Zane. <laughs> and was like, "Hey man, I just want to tell you, you're looking really good recently. Like you're doing a real good job, and you know it's nice to see you finally, you know, take your health and in your hands and really improve upon yourself." And Zane's like, "Oh, thanks, man. I know I've been losing a little bit of weight." And <laughs> that meant so much to him. <laughs> he just gl- he starts glowing because, <laughs> like, when Zane met, he was kind of out of shape, and then he got with me and Zane and Caleb, and we're like, "No, man, you got to be in shape to do this." And he was really trimming down and working hard in the ring. <laughs> And then the guy like said that nice compliment and then kind of stopped and then had this weird look. And then Zane kind of felt something like, you thought it was something. And Zane goes, 
who do you think I am? <laughs> and the guy goes, are you Balls Mahoney? And he goes, no, I'm not Balls Mahoney. Uh, <laughs> and keep in mind, this is, this is the era of Balls where he, Balls doesn't even look like that anymore. Yeah, he looks rough. But, I, but now, as we're going through this and thinking about you know, Balls and Candido, it's very funny that we have, you know, Zane who looks like Balls Mahoney and one of his closest friends is old pretty boy Caleb Connolly. Pulling off the Candido. So I'm just saying, <laughs> we've got our own version of Candido and Balls alive and well today. So, so. does that make you Tammy? I have to be because I have so many pills on my stomach right now. <laughs> I take an absurd amount of supplements. Whoa, that explains how fucking much you love Shawn Michaels. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> So eventually, Balls would form a tag team with Axel Rotten, known as the Hardcore Chair Swinging Freaks. To me, it sounds like an old circus act. Like, pay one nickel to see the freaks, pay a quarter to sit in the chair. We put some chains on a chair and we'll just slug them around without any care to the people involved. For $20, we'll give you CTE and you'll never forget this incident <laughs> again. And then you'll pay us again because we tell you that you didn't pay. <laughs> So, Balls and Axel feuded with the Dudleys, FBI, and even Triple Threat with his best pal, now in ECW as well, Chris, no motherfucking gimmicks needed, Candido. At 97's November to remember, the chair swinging freaks would get a title shot in a four-way dance to the death match with FBI, the Dudleys, and the Gangstonators. That was the first ECW pay-per-view I ever ordered. I remember the anticipation on that, like like Jake has talked about in the past, of that when you would see that pay-per-view free window and they would hype the shit out of everything and just the little clips that they would show of what ECW was and what they did and you were going to get to order a pay-per-view, I remember being so fucking stoked. I think uh, the first introduction was Balls blasting the shit out of Bubba in the back and then caving in Tracy Smothers' skull and it was like, what? Balls and Axel would be the final team left with the FBI... But they lose when a ref gets knocked out and a new ref runs in for the three count only to see his fallen comrade in the corner. So he runs over to check on him, which makes balls get in his face. So the ref <laughs> kicks balls in the nuts. Man. Balls gets rolled up and they lose the match. Fucking Jeff Jones. Mahoney and Rotten got another shot at the titles at Palooza against Chris Candido and Lance Storm. And it's one of my favorite angles uh, because Chris Candido and Lance Storm were tag team partners, but they hated each other. It's so good. Well, and also, too, what was great about that feud, and I think I mentioned on the Candido episode, is they would defend the titles. They would win the, the tag team title match. They would have a fight on the microphone after that and then they would engage in a singles match so Paul Lee <laughs> loved it cause he's like oh these guys are going to wrestle a tag match and then turn around wrestle a singles match Fill that card up. so that's one less match I have to book and uh, the, to carry the whole thing forward uh, as most tag teams would come out they usually come out together with the music that works together Lance Storm would come out to his music and then Candido would come out to his music. <laughs> He'd restart it. He'd restart yeah, he restarts it. like, no, I'm coming back. I'm, uh, was it back in black? Yeah. It, it, what it was was Thunderstruck was Lance Storm and yeah. Chris would walk out with them all dejected and then he would get in the truck <laughs> yeah, and like, right. go play my music. He'd go to the back, they'd play black and black and then Chris Candido would do this exaggerated <laughs> strut, dance into the ring, over the top intro. Stealing the thunder. 
So this match ends when Lance springboard drop kicks balls while he's holding a chair so that whacks him in the face. Lance covers balls who gets hit in the back with a chair from his teammate Chris Candido who then covers balls for the win. It's awesome. And WWE straight jacked this angle uh, with Crash and Hardcore Holly. Just straight stole it. Yeah, well, don't worry. They've erased all existence of chair shots now in the network. <laughs> so uh, I mean, Bull's already- entire career is basically him walking to the ring. Balls, balls, balls. Jab, jab, jab. Finish. Oh, so- balls is laying in the ring. What, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's not bad enough that the WWE network is pumped in all this shitty fucking music. Because we, the- we don't get Inner Sandman or Natural Born Killers. I didn't realize how much the atmosphere of that music created and playing these shitty just fill-in songs just, just like people don't understand man this shit was fucking amazing because it was of the time yeah. it was music that just like spoke to what was going on like ECW is not even a third as good with without the copyrighted music in it after failing to win the tag team titles with Axel Rotten Mahoney found a new partner in Masato Tanaka before they became tag team partners, they had a hell of a fucking match. It might have been one of Balls' best matches leading up to it at the ECW arena. This was Mas- when Masato, I think he had one match before this, but this is when Masato really got pulled o- put over and Balls helped. ECW arena, they're beating the shit out of each other. And it's that spot where Balls is known for his chair shots. He prided himself on his chair shots. He said he knocked out Sandman. He knocked out Big Dick Dudley. He gets Tanaka and he drills the fuck out of him with the chair. And the crowd's just like, ooh. And Masato's just kind of sitting there. And then he starts to shake. And then he lets out that guttural yell. And he goes, ah! And the crowd, the just the way they pop. And you can feel the goosebumps on everybody in Philly. Going like, holy shit. No one has ever no-sold a fucking Balls Mahoney chair shot. And then Balls pulls back and drills the shit out of him again. He drops him this time. But then Masato, he knows how to milk it. He slowly gets up shaken, and the crowd is, like, even for the ECW audience at this time, of all the shit they have seen, the goosebumps that I know were there and that I felt rewatching this, they were like, I have never seen this spot. I have never seen someone going at balls in these chair shots like it. And then balls hits him again and drills the shit out of him. And then Masato comes back and destroys balls with three chair shots. And then he hits him with a tornado DDT onto two steel chairs and it's over. One all-time great ECW moments is just Masato no-selling those first balls chair shots. Because he would do that type of spot with Mike Awesome later. But the first time, that crowd had no clue what the fuck hit it. Well, it was much needed because actually Tanaka's debut with ECW did not go well. Johnny Smith or something? No, or uh, Doug Furness. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, was, it was on a pay-per-view. I think it was Living Dangerously, if I'm not mistaken. It did not go well at all. It clearly a language barrier. There were there were some issues. Like it was almost like they were trying to call it in the ring, and then you have a language barrier. And it seems like it was like a match that was kind of thrown together too, like last minute. Yep. It did not come off well, and not a good rep- representation of a guy who would eventually become their world champion. Yep. So call Balls Mahoney in to save the day. <laughs> and, Just have no care for someone and try to murder them. <laughs> yes, exactly. And some, well, and the other guy being just tough as shit <laughs> and saying, not today. Not today. Balls talked about that a lot. Just His chair shots were his pride and joy. On the receiving end, he said he never got KO'd either. And there's, there's a moment in one of his shoots where he's like, he's just, he's patting his head and he's like, it doesn't hurt. It hurts, but it doesn't hurt. He said, I just don't feel nothing. Like, on the top of his head, I just don't feel anything. And you're like, oh, man, dude, shit. Which does not age well. No. Just to let you know, just to to paint a picture of the culture at this time. Like, I 
there's a lot of things in in my wrestling career I'm caught between cultures. I was in an era where like the tail end of guys asking for pills in the locker room and you're just one of the boys. I think Jimmy Jacobs said it best was like how we'd romanticize about being fucked up and wrestling drunk and and we have a show we make our money and we go get fucked up afterwards just that that whole idea of that's what being a pro wrestler was where now it's much more defined now mm-hmm. and guys are got good bodies it's more about getting getting to bed early or playing video games afterwards you know having a pizza that's like <laughs> that's like a cheat big day. yeah exactly they're talking about cheat days and, and stuff like that where also too in my pro wrestling life you were considered a fucking pussy if you put your hands up for a chair shot. Yeah, right, You were required right. to put your hands down and make a whole deliberate thing. Like, even just kind of, like, flinching them up. It was almost like the flinch game. Right. But with people swinging steel chairs as hard as they possibly could across people's heads at the crown of their fucking head. Yeah. And, and no idea of protection or how to take care of guys. And that's what you were told to do. And if, like... If I like kind of raise my hands up a little bit, even though I didn't even get them up at all, oh, you moved your fucking hands, you fucking pussy. And that's what <laughs> you were fucking told to do. And, and not only too, the people that were calling you pussies weren't just the guys in the back, but also wrestling fans. Oh, yeah. Wrestling fans. Especially was like, ECW Philly. Mm-hmm. And then there was a shift that I remember this match with Steve Carino and Kevin Steen and the boys in the back were mad that, that Carino never got his hands up. And then even the fans were saying, this is fucking violence at its best just gross and disgusting they didn't put their hands up who the fuck are they this is this is shitbag fucking wrestling wait a minute you would have called us shitbags for putting our hands up a few years ago it was just this weird dynamic and balls made a name for himself because of these fucking chair shots and in this culture right now someone like balls mahoney would be vilified but at the same time he'd be vilified his gifts and his online videos would shoot up right away and he would ha- develop a reputation that he can then make money off of in the future. And all this debate like, oh, should he be swinging his chair so hard? He's protecting people. That's where this business is. Well, at this time in the business, like that's how you got over. Do you, do you get over at somebody's expense or do you have the reputation that you work well with people? And balls could do it both ways. And at this moment in time, he just capitalized on what got you over, which is Swinging that fucking chair as hard as you possibly could at the expense of Steve Carino, who like that chair shot on him. Well, I mean, when just when you were mentioning the swinging the chair shots at Tanaka, made me think about the chair shot on um, Carino, and I started to get this feeling, this burning feeling, like right above my heart and my esophagus. It's like it was affecting me personally, thinking about it, like how. That would feel physically. The visual of the chair when he holds it up and it looks like, you know, a log slammed into it. Yeah. It's the same. Like, I got to see at the Grady Cole Center, I think it was second row, Rob Van Dam versus Balls. And I went back and watched it because I still have my VHS fan cam video and I watched it this morning. At the time, and it still holds up, Balls hit Rob with the loudest, scariest (laughs) fucking chair shot. Like, I really, honest to God, thought Rob was dead. Not just, like, saying that to be like, oh, man, I thought he was fucking dead. But, like, he creamed him so hard, and you knew he hit him with the sweet spot of the chair, and it was at the end of his full extension and power, and Rob dropped so fucking hard. Watching the video, it wasn't as impactful. I can't compare live, I mean, like they always say. But, I mean, it was still, I I remembered it, and it did not let me down, because I knew it it was worrisome. (laughs) I mean, back then, you freak out, but I mean, If you get drunk at a bar and you get dropped, 
and you hit your head on the concrete, you die. Yeah. And here's this time. person like yeah. legit taking a foreign object that is made out of steel and swinging it from over the top their shoulder on down and using gravity on top of all of their force and even using their back and their legs to swing it Boom. down upon you. And then you get up and finish the rest of the match and then do it again the next night. And you and you brought up Balls Mahoney and Rob Van Dam. They were the fucking go-to as main events for a lot of ECW house shows. Yep. And including a pay-per-view, yep. I believe Anarchy Rules in yeah. Chicago, yeah. which they superseded a three-way match with Tanaka and Mike Awesome and Taz even as well like that pay-per-view main event was a big deal because those matches were so good and the fact that rob was able to survive well, that's the, like rob every night doing take that nasty fucking chair shots more than anyone it's I, like some of those ddts he would take from jerry lynn as rob had another thing for taking those chair shots oh god i just I, that will always be the nastiest fucking chair shot i ever saw balls killing rob van dam at the grady cole center in 1999 the thing is though they did a grady cole I guarantee they did it in uh, Villa Park. Oh, yeah. They did it in Kansas City somewhere. They oh, did yeah. it in Minneapolis, Minnesota. They did it in Edison, New Jersey. They did it in Jacksonville, Florida. They did it in Richmond, Virginia. They did it in Nashville, Tennessee. They did it in Columbus, Ohio, and they would do that every night. At November to remember 1998, Masato and Balls took on the Dutleys for the Tag Team Championships. After a crazy match, RVD and Sabu run in to attack the Dutleys, putting them through tables, and Tanaka and Balls would double cover them to win the ECW Tag Team Championship. I mean, God, how over was Rob? Like, he wouldn't even the match, but he basically won the tag <laughs> with Sabu. I felt like, oh, Balls got his first tag title win, and I was like... They didn't even, like, kick them once after they put them through the table so they could say they won. But, you know, six days later, they dropped the belts back to the Dudleys. Womp, womp, womp. Shortly after, Mahoney formed a tag team with Spike Dudley. And they'd feud with the Dudleys, trading the tag team titles back and forth, uh, winning the titles first at ECW Heatwave 99, losing them for the final time on an edition of ECW on TNN. Fuck yeah. They want them, then they want them back, then they want them back again, and then they did, like, it was a, it was an extra step, because the whole thing at the time was, uh, Joey Styles was selling, if the Dudleys take the belts, then they're gonna show up to Connecticut and throw them on the steps, and it just kept going back and forth, they did it so, I think there was, like, two back and forths. Yeah, and what a formula with Spike Dudley. Because Spike is the runt of litter, and they always beat the shit out of Spike Dudley, so, you could have... Any babyface come in, team with Spike, Spike's going to take the pin, the feud continues, you have another babyface come in, take a big pop, but if it, that clicks, they take the belts from him, and then at the end of the day, they still beat Spike, so the, that babyface just came in, he, he gets a little bit of a rub for being a tag team champion, but he doesn't lose anything because the angle's still with Spike, and you could pull away from that, come to that whenever you need to. I think it was mentioned before we recorded, there's a lot of cycles in ECW booking, and that was always like a cycle that they could go to if they wanted to get to. We need to have a feud with the Dudleys, but we want to make sure the Dudleys have the belts when we go on TV. So let's like have him feud with Spike, and to mix it up, we'll have him partner with somebody different. But we need the belts back on the Dudleys for this moment in time, so we can just have them lose it and drop it, and this other babyface doesn't lose anything, but it's an interesting pairing. 
This was also the time when we started getting into fire, and I think it's the, the first title change in the Spike and Balls Dudley feud. They do the thumbtacks on the table, light that motherfucker on fire, and Bubba power bombs him through the table, flames and all. It was all over the highlight reels forever. And I thought that was a one-time thing, but uh, pretty much every single uh, tag team title match after that, they would do it. Spike took a flaming table from the inside the ring to the outside, but Balls was always the one, and he would just sell the shit out of it. The standing ovation after the first one was pretty special, but, you know, Balls clearly loves pain. Well, also, too, I think Balls said that there's a trick to it, or it was Bubba, that when the, the powerbomb happens, it's actually when you powerbomb down, like it pushes the air right. off the side. So, so when you come down and slam on down to the table... The fire is already out. Physics, man. Because of the wind of a guy, because you really got to make sure you slam him down so it almost kind of like, there's a whoosh, and it'll put out the fire. But there usually is a little bit of fire, depending on how they soak the table. But if you just soak it just enough, much like my arm back in college, that just (laughs) a quick waff of it will will put it out right away. But if you really soak that wooden table... Then it's still on fire when you hit it. And then yeah. you got to immediately, once you hit, start rolling to put yourself out. You're, you're just speaking of kind of how it works with the physics and the inside secrets of the trade. And I think Mahoney, they got the name because Jocko Mahoney was kind of a, I wouldn't say famous, but well-known uh, stuntman from Hollywood back in the day. So Ball's just living up to his stuntman ways. Absolutely. But also too, like not only was he kind of like, you know, doing a lot of hardcore stuff, he could still go. He really could. And, and and you saw it during the Rob Van Dam stuff, but also too, like Balls took a lot of pride in his work and getting guys over and much like he did with Tanaka, but also too, like you could probably make the argument that Balls helped solidify Rob as a certifiable main event guy. Totally. In ECW. They repeated that main event a lot on the house shows. If they needed a a house show main event, Balls and Rob Van Dam, and that's and that's going to be for sure a main event. And Balls took a lot of pride in getting guys over. Well, I remember Tommy Dreamer telling me this story. Tommy has a list of like top five, top three, what the fuck moments. And one of those happens to be when Matt Taven did a moonsault on George the Animal Steel. <laughs> and that's why how he, how he got into like listing all those other what the fuck moments. And Balls is on his what the fuck moment list and towards the end in the later years of ecw like in the 2000s or just the year 2000 tommy was at a lot of the house shows putting them together and they pretty much kind of had a formula to them so you know tommy kind of laid stuff out well they're they were in kansas city somewhere or somewhere in kansas and there was a local guy or a guy that was trying to break into ecw because a lot of times what ecw would do with their tryouts is they'd have an open tryouts for local wrestlers you show up and basically like tracy smothers would run a few drills with them the dudleys would beat the shit out of you or like kid cash would beat you up a little bit or, or they'd have guys and just kind of like rough up some of the locals and if you like went through it they're like all right well we'll put you on the show tonight well, I guess there's this one guy around the Kansas area that everybody seemed to like and help out, but he wasn't that great of a wrestler. But Balls felt like, like, no, 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 man, I can, I can get this guy over. Let me wrestle him. And so Tommy's like, all right, I'll, I'll let you wrestle him, but you know, keep it about like six to eight minutes, no more than ten. Just simple little opening match. And Balls goes 30 fucking minutes. <laughs> and brawls all over the building, get juice, does all kinds of fucking shit, and like take all kinds of crazy bump for this guy who's not contracted on a fucking house show in Kansas somewhere. And fucking Tommy is livid. <laughs> fucking livid. 
Balls comes back. He's fucking bleeding, busted up. Fuck he's, yeah, he's got a match. Yeah, he's got pieces all over. See that fucking match? See he could fucking go. And Tommy's just like, "What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you?" And then Tommy's like, main point. He goes, "I he goes, I appreciate your love for the business, and you want to get this guy over, and you want to display him, and you want to help him get a job. But balls, you're on TV. You're making money. You don't want to get yourself hurt." doing these fucking house shows when we need you for the TVs and pay-per-views and balls listening to all this from Tommy, this clearly making sense over and over again, balls just looks right at him and then takes a bump on the floor (laughs) (laughs) and and says, I can't be hurt. And then walks off and Tommy just like, what the fuck was that? I don't know. <laughs> why did I try? Why the fuck did I try? try? Yeah, why? Why do I talk sense? Why? And Balls like patted his head. Can't feel nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Can't feel nothing. Real quick, it was interesting. Uh, Balls was talking about the early signs of when he knew ECW was failing. And kind of like what you said, he knew he would get paid, but they wouldn't fly him out to ECW house shows. And they would just bring in local wrestlers to fill in so it wouldn't be as much money. Mm-hmm. I figured that's kind of a common... Also, too, like Karina would tell me, the key was if you wanted to get the same bank where Paul Lee made the checks, the payroll through, like if it was like Wells Fargo or whatever yeah. bank or Wachovia or yeah. whatever it would have been at the time, like whatever bank that, that Paul Lee used, you made sure that you opened up a bank account at that bank. And then when you got the check, you immediately, <laughs> immediately get there because people are going to start cashing. Yeah. And the thing is, if it's the same bank, that the transfer out of that account will happen faster. Because if like, let's say he's Paul's payrolls through Bank of America and you're Wells Fargo, the Wells Fargo transfer will take longer. But it's much like my paycheck, like my paycheck can go into my account immediately where if I had Bank of America and my boss says Wells Fargo payroll, it'll take a little bit longer. Yeah. So, so like that's what everybody did. They made sure that the same account and immediately go there and make sure to take it out immediately so it got out of there directly. So some indie shows in wrestling are first come, first serve, but with Polly it was first come, first paid. Yeah. <laughs> and which and what's even more ironic when we talk about checks in ECW, the only bounce check that I've ever received in professional wrestling came from an ECW wrestler. <laughs> Can you? I got. I'm not gonna. I'm, right, not, I'm not gonna say. I'm not gonna. I'm uh, not. I will. Uh, I will not. I will never say. I don't care if it comes up in a Patreon Q and A. I will never. <laughs> I will never fucking mention that that name. Ever it's because. so obvious. It's Sempu, right? Taz, give Jake Manning. God his money. damn it, Simon Diamond, you piece of shit. Also, too, during this time, this will probably dovetail a little later. Like ECW guys could take indie bookings. No. And. Ian Rotten ran his own promotion, IWB South, and he ran like a King of the Deathmatch tournament, I believe in 1997. If I'm not mistaken, old Balls Mahoney was on it. It just goes back to like I was saying before, Balls had respect for Ian, wanted Ian's promotion to kind of get off the ground because Ian's like IWB South just kind of got started, knew this would be kind of a big event and wanted to help out Ian. Like just goes to show that Balls is willing to lend his body to help somebody out and get their promotion off the ground, even though it was violent and it would it would take a chunk of his life and a piece of his body, Literally, but he would fuck. do it for for another wrestler and he would do it in the prime of his career, which was 1997, 1998, whatever that, that period is, but I believe it was in, right, right in those years. This speaks to Balls Mahoney. Mahoney's final ECW appearance would be at 2001's Guilty as Charge, where Balls and Chili Willie faced Simon Diamond and Johnny Swinger, ending in a no contest because Rhino ran in and gored everyone. 
And in the good old ECW days, this show you why the shit went to hell. They had a no contest in an ECW match. Yeah. Fuck this. And I I don't even remember Chili Willie. No, Chili Willie is a fucking amazing man. Is he really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a lot of extra talent with Chili Willie. <laughs> and he did this, like, king gimmick in, in North Carolina. Like, I think about the time of Booker T was doing the king uh. thing. But, like, Chili Willie, I was in a battle royal with him. And he gave me a working punch. That was the lightest working punch I've ever had before. But look like he murdered me. Uh-huh. Chili Willie was such a goddamn fucking pro. And I'll never forget when I was doing extra talent with him. He was in there and he was he was doing a tryout match in front of everybody, in front of like Jamie Noble and all everybody there. Wow. And they didn't know who he was. Uh-huh. They had no fucking clue who Chili Willie was. And I think Chili Willie even was in developmental for a short period of time. For WWE before he went over and served our country, and we were putting him over fucking waters. <laughs> and he was, uh, you know, and I think it was about the time that they had just restarted the ECW thing. And Chili Willie is extra talent, and they're trying to figure out who they're going to have a you know a match with on ECW. And here you have an ECW guy who's doing extra talent. You don't know who he is. He's been in a developmental system. He has this match, and you're like, oh, this guy isn't bad. And then somebody goes, that's Chilly Willie. And then Jamie knows, oh, I didn't realize you were Chilly Willie. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? And, and also, too, he did that extra talent tryout match with a blown-out knee. But he's like, fuck, man, I'm just trying to get a job, and I'm trying to cover it up. And I remember him having a brace. He goes, hey, man, if we're in there, please take care of my get whatever you need. You know. Also, that time, too, he was a prison guard. Like a fucking badass prison guard. Like I he, already want to watch the Chili Willie documentary. <laughs> he was telling me stories about like there was a riot that broke out and they had to lock down the room and they got it isolated down. Like they got some <laughs> other people out of there and then they had to lock down this one guy. He was still causing a scene and throwing shit around and like legally these like we can't we can't send you in there, you know, because. 17 of you guys jumping on this fucking one dude that's not fucking good like yeah. we just need to wait for him to calm down and let him like like peter out a little bit and the guy wasn't slowing down and then fucking chili willie's like fuck that and he took a shit off because you let me the fuck in there i will fuck him up personally <laughs> with no goddamn weapons like he's like i ain't fucking waiting around for this goddamn motherfucker to get tired i'll tire his ass out like straight up Badass, great flirt, fucking worker, awesome wrestler. You put a little goddamn respect on Chili Willie's I, I mean, name. I'm glad I was ignorant to who Chili Willie was. Once again, the, the dynamic of the show is Mike is like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> and I go, oh, only the greatest man of all time. <laughs> who is Scott Casey again? I don't fucking remember. <laughs> I will fucking, do, do, fucking disperse the goddamn name of Scott Casey. After leaving ECW, Balls hopped around the Indies, including USA Extreme Pro Wrestling, IWA Mid-South, and also Juggalo Championship Wrestling. Jake, what do you know about Juggalo Wrestling? So much. In fact, I'll probably do a How Did This Get Booked episode on one of the shows that I was on for Juggalo Championship (laughs) Wrestling. Oh, I wrestled at The Gathering, my friend. Wow. I was at two gatherings. I only wrestled at one of them. Because the shows get moved around so much, and I had to be back in Charlotte. I think it was like the midnight wrestling didn't happen till 5 a.m. So leave let you know how late the fucking show started. Um, so the crowd was just great. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't give a fuck. But yeah, but the ICP, big, huge wrestling fans. Yeah. And, you know... Great on commentary. Holy fucking shit! He put him through the glass! Fuck, fuck, motherfucker! <laughs> but nice guys, and they, and they yeah, take they, care they, of these guys. They pay them well. They're passionate about it. So Balls Mahoney's right up that fucking alley. And if you're like, hey, you want to wrestle this show at 3 a.m.? Balls Mahoney's like, how much? <laughs> <laughs> 
And he'd be there. After ECW, Balls was totally fucked up. Basically, alcoholic, drug-induced. But the thing that I found interesting, this was when Candi- to follow the Candido narrative. Candido was fucked up a lot of the time. This was hard pill time. And Balls was depressed as shit. And they came together. They finally saw how fucked up both of them were and knew they had to change their lives. And Balls said he'd help Chris clean up if Chris helped balls get back into the gym and get in shape and they made a pact and they started lifting every night and they really brought them out of their funk damn balls in a shoot interview making me really care and kind of tear up yeah that's good that's well cool. and also too to the maybe put a little bow on their entire relationship i think pretty well known that uh, balls mahoney uh satanist humanist hell satan humanist yeah. Humanist. He he makes it very clear. Sorry, he's like, "There's no Satan. There's no fucking Satan." Well, I mean, they, I, know, I know, I know. Well, that is yeah. what Satanism is. I, I, I know that's what humanist. I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But and, he balls made it very clear. It's like I don't fucking worship the devil. I'm just all about humanity. Sorry. Uh, a lot of people like 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 talk about that, but they refer to you know him being a Satanist. And when Chris died, his funeral being in a church. <laughs> <laughs> And balls still showed up, and some people were like, ah, oh, you're not a real Satanist. And like, well, fuck off. Maybe he's fucking being there for his fucking friend and putting that all aside. But I remember, like, I think Tammy was saying, like, yeah, even balls showed up to the funeral in the church. Like, that shows how much, how much love Chris love, had for man. people, you know? Is it, here's the Satanist, like, yeah, I'll go to a church. So I, that was mostly to get to that joke, even though I know Satanism is more Satanism is more about aesthetics than it is anything else. <laughs> I was about to chime in again. Actually, but yeah, fuck. In uh, 2005, Balls was part of a UXW Memorial Battle Royal for his best friend, Chris Candido, who had passed away. I just can't imagine the emotions of that. The Battle Royal was actually won by our boy... Johnny Candido, who tweeted at us that one time. Oh my god, that was so that was, that was probably the first time where I felt like, hey, we're doing something kind of cool. And thank you for keeping your brother's legacy alive. Amen. Yeah, it, fuck so. me. Also in 2005, there was an ECW one night stand reunion show. At this point, ECW was owned by WWE who put on this one off show for ECW fans. This show was attended by a bunch of WWE wrestlers led by JBL. As part of the main event between the Dudleys versus Dreamer and Sandman, the chair-swinging freaks ran out to fight pre-match with the Blue World Order and (laughs) returned later when Stone Cold Steve Austin invited the locker room out to the ring for a beer for Stone Cold, old ECW wrestler. Stone Cold challenged the Raw and SmackDown wrestlers watching from above to a fight. They all got into the ring with this big epic showdown, Taz walked in and all fucking hell broke loose. And ECW defended their turf. They beat up Eric Bischoff, of all people. The whole segment, if you've never seen it, check it out. Fantastic. Piggybacking on the success of the One Night Stand show, WWE did a full-blown ECW relaunch in 2006, and here is where ECW finally gets good. Oh, it's a funny joke, but I'm mad. (laughs) But I'll never forget when it got announced, and I was just thinking oh, about yeah. this not too Me long too. ago. Like, I remember it getting announced, and I was actually with Tracy Smothers all weekend long. Fucking name dropper. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's it, it's vital because I was just thinking about him saying this, and it's probably one of the better pieces of knowledge I've ever gotten in wrestling. And it's very applicable to today's certain wrestling climate in that when they announced that it was, you know, they're going to do ECW and they're having a whole new hour of television. I remember Tracy getting super excited. I was like, this is the best news I've heard, man. That means there's no more jobs. 
all the guys are going there's gonna be guys that are gonna be coming up and they gotta fill those spots on TV that means there'll be less guys on the indies and I gotta fill their spots and then you'll <laughs> fill my spot and then everybody moves up this right, is the best right. news and it's like you know even though there was he didn't make an indication like oh ECW's coming back and I'm gonna get a job he's like somebody's gonna get a job uh, and I'm gonna move into their spot and that's just kind of the way to think right now with the, all the announcements and the things that yeah, are happening with AEW. All these guys move up. They become exclusive. Then all their spots become empty and they get filled by somebody else. There's a lot of talk like, oh, the Indies are dead. There's not these superstars. Well, there'll be new superstars. Everybody's going to rise. It's just nobody's been made yet. Yeah. And if, if we just find a way to make guys, we'll be fine. Yeah. One of the first announcements what the relaunch of WWE's ECW was the signing of Balls Mahoney and his signing was announced with Axel Rotten but when Rotten missed a ton of dates and appearances because he loved them drugs he was let go so Balls had to become a singles wrestler very quickly I remember being an indie show where Ian Rotten was wrestling at and we were you know just being stupid fans I think I think not to name drop again no, I'm just being a dick, Jake. You know, I, love, uh, but, but I love it, your name drops. But it is it is a valid story. It's it's when I was with Seth Rollins and we <laughs> okay, it was for our, mind, fuck you. That's was, a big it, name it, drop. It, yeah. <laughs> it was an RCW show in LaSalle, Illinois, and we'd help set up the ring. And you and Seth Rollins helped set up the ring. Uh, and, we, and, cool. we, and we tore it down, although they wanted me to go back to the warehouse and unload it off the truck onto the warehouse. So basically not only had to help set it up. I had to tear it down and then unload it from the truck. And I was like, nah, man, I'm not going to unload it from the truck. And I remember them calling me, where you at? We need you here to unload the truck. And I just fucking kept on I'm driving. Dead. I'm, I'm, dead. Dead. I'm, <laughs> dead. I'm dead right now. But Seth Rollins went there to unload the truck. Oh. He went the extra mile. And I'm pretty sure that's where he signed his WWE contract. And they're like, whoever's unloading this truck gets on to WWE. <laughs> <laughs> so, but... Anyways, we were there. Merrick Brave was there. Crotch from SCW. All the SCW guys. We were, we were all there, and Ian was in the ring, and just to be just little shitbag fucking fans and being who we were and starting a chant, we started chanting, we want Axel. <laughs> we want Axel. And then Ian got the microphone because he, he, he enjoyed us. Obviously, he enjoyed Tyler Black and Merrick Brave more than me, and got on the microphone and goes, all you got to do is just give him some heroin. He'll be here. Oh. <laughs> like, uh. Can we not talk about how Axel died based on that joke? <laughs> well, at the time, he was still alive and well. <laughs> I know, just you saying that, I was like, oh, I actually Listen, re- the, the, I reread that today uh, in the CTE article and just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Listen, nothing from this episode age as well. The CTE jokes, the heroin <laughs> jokes, and all the sunny jokes. So wrestling, they, they, in, they, wrestling in general does not fucking age well. Yeah. That's why Jim Cornette has stayed in the same era as possible, because that's where it's safe. Well, uh, also not to name drop, but I was in the green room of the Laughing Skull with uh, Tom Segura, and he brought up that at 2006 One Night Stand, (laughs) yeah, Balls had a great match. I was really in the green room with Tom Segura. Balls had a match with his old tag partner, Masato Tanaka, and after denting a fucking chair on his head, uh, he got the win. It's uh, like, if you go back and watch, I, I watched that match, Balls Talks thing should have got like 20 minutes. It would have been amazing. And it actually feels like time got cut. Because, yeah, 
Every other single match they had was better than that. I like, still enjoyed why, it, though. I mean, it is. But, like, if you look at their other stuff, no, which no. I don't want to call you a noob on ECW, but you admit it, so it's no big deal. But, I mean, seriously, like, that match, it's like, why book that if you're not going to fucking let them do what they can do? And it is short and concise of what they have done, but it was like, it's a big pay-per-view. Let them go all out. From there, Balls would get into angles with people like Matt Stryker, Bobby Lashley, The Miz, and he'd even do an angle with Kelly Kelly. On February 29th, 2008, a Leap Day episode of SmackDown, Balls wrestled Big Daddy V. Remember him from the last episode, guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we're doing it in correct order. Episode. It was a good episode. Go back. Go back. Go back. Check it out. It was good. a week ago? The match would end in a no contest after The Undertaker came to the ring to beat up Big Daddy V and choke slam Balls Mahoney. <laughs> uh, not long after that, Balls was released from his WWE contract April 28, 2008. From there, Balls would make his rounds working for smaller promotions in the US and around the world. He'd go back to World Wrestling Council, he'd work for the Juggalos again, he'd pop up in TNA, Ring of Honor. He'd even tag up with Jake Manning's old partner, Grizzly Redwood. Mm-hmm. And Shirt I proudly own, by the way. Jake and Grizzly Redwood. And also, too, Balls uh, had a, a decent hand in, uh, I think, mentoring Matt Tremont a little bit. I remember mm-hmm. like when they were doing the Extreme Rising, Extreme Reunion shows. I remember Matt Tremont kind of being around and Balls kind of being around him and... And that's the impression I was getting is that Matt Tremont was kind of around Balls Mahoney and kind of like mentoring him a little bit. And I would see Balls do that with a couple of people. I had a weird interaction with Balls Mahoney in probably <laughs> 2005, 2006. Uh-huh. I was at a wrestler reunion show in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. And I was going to the bathroom. And then there's Balls Mahoney trying to lace up these... <laughs> Boots, uh, not like like wrestling boots, but like boots, boots, which were kind of his wrestling boots at the time, like but like Doc Martin, like black boots that had duct tape all around them, and then also too, he had duct tape around his actual ankle, mm. and Fuck gauze, yeah, like gauze, but he had duct tape, and I was just looking down at him trying to, and he's like, ah, ah, and he's like struggling to tie up his boots, and of course, when you see somebody like Balls Mahoney who has his ankle duct tape i was like are you okay to which he replied he goes yeah i was in a cage match and i fell off the top of the cage and i (laughs) fucked up my ankle real bad i'm like hate it when that happens (laughs) and walked onto the bathroom And it's it's funny. There's a, a famous clip of him about the time period that we're talking about now, like the the later 2000s. I think it was like 2012 or somewhere in that range. There's a clip of him online taking a chair shot, and it causes him to vomit. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like yeah. he's and he takes it and he's like, and he's all like dizzy. And, and then old Marty Janetti is the one that. Yeah. yeah. So like, I know he was in rough shape towards the end. But he always was really happy to be around the fans. Like, I remember going to Tony Luke's, which is right around the corner from the ECW arena. And there was a show that obviously was on because it's the ECW arena. And I remember him just being around. And, and like, Tony Luke's, it's, it's got a really long line. And if there's a Flyers game or a 76ers or an Eagles game, don't even bother going to Tony Luke's. The, the line is going to be down the street, around the block. It'll take forever just for you to get your cheesesteak. But after an ECW show, it's not bad. 
And I just remember him coming in and him just talking to fans and people wanting autographs and had plenty of time for everybody and just being super fucking cool to everybody. And and those were always my interactions with balls, like, you know, that weird interaction about him breaking his ankle. And then, of course, like him just being cool to fans. Yeah. Rolling into the 2010s, balls was really breaking down his uh, CTE, his drug use, his brutal lifestyle. It was all super catching up with him and balls would have his last match ever picking up a win at dfc a very death proof christmas on december 6 2015 in a flaming tables match go out doing what you love then sadly april 12 2016 one day after his 44th birthday balls was watching jeopardy at his home in new jersey he turned over to get comfortable when moments later his wife noticed he was unconscious she called 911, she tried CPR, but before medics could arrive, John Reitner had died of a heart attack at the age of 44. Final thoughts on the great Balls Mahoney. Kind of the stuff I said a little bit earlier, Balls always was good to people. I avoided him because he's too nice, because I know I would end up in a 20-minute conversation You're with him. backtracking. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like, let me out of here. Like I, Because I usually at these wrestling shows, I have a lot to do. So I would always avoid someone like Balls, who is overly friendly, want to talk, and it's like, hey, this 20 minutes is nice, and I'm glad I'm having this moment with you, but I really have to go set up the merch table. I have to set up the hard camera. I have to, I have to go over, over my match. I have to do this. So as someone who is as friendly as balls, like I try to avoid people like that at all costs at wrestling shows. So if people are like, ah, he's a dick. Yeah, because I have shit I have to do, <laughs> and you're a nice person that wants to talk because that's what human beings do. So balls are just one of those guys because he was too nice. He was too nice to the boys. He was too nice to the fans. He was just a super cool dude every time I ran into him. Even that weird interaction right by the bathroom. Like, there were more smiles than anything. Very overlooked wrestler. And when you talk about people that are lost way too early because of what professional wrestling has done to you, like, he's a prime example of it. And people don't discuss it more that damage that pro wrestling does to you and beats you up and grinds you up like people are like oh well you know macho man he died young no he died from a heart attack a heart attack that happened while he was in the car if he was at home he they could have called the ambulance and he might have been fine yeah. that's not that's not a tragedy of professional wrestling he just had a heart attack and if he was just around a place where they could have called the ambulance he would have been fine so claiming that on pro wrestling treating you like a meat grinder and beating you up not necessarily the case, but Balls Mahoney was perfectly that. Was he gave him his his body, his brain, his heart to professional wrestling, and it just grinded it up in a meat grinder. He did it in probably one of the more violent eras of professional wrestling, and treated it as if it didn't fucking hurt, and only solely cared about the reaction of the fame. So at the end of the day and so when you talk about how pro wrestling chews you up and spits you out and what it does to your body and destroys you i think balls mahoney is a prime example of that and should be held up and remembered in a great regard in giving everything to professional wrestling and it was gone way too soon this is gonna be easy to say as someone who personally didn't know balls but he struck me as the type of dude where if you stopped him at the age of 20 and gave him two paths, like 
you're gonna either be a wrestling legend loved by millions you're gonna party you're gonna burn the candles at both ends and you're gonna die young or you're gonna be an accountant live a safe life and die at 75 i feel like balls is picking pro wrestling 100 percent of the time he was a super funny dude a great wrestler entertaining as hell gone way too young and you know it's sad that early ecw stuff when all i had exposure to was wcw and wwf and it had a huge impression on me of just like it was this whole new world of this dangerous exciting stuff and there's this dude who looks like a legit biker like pulled a biker out of hell's angels and you put him in a match and told him how to fucking take a drop toehold and he was on paul's show balls did i think eight shoot interviews my list is 1999 2009 2012, there's a hotel shoot with Axel Rodden right before the TNA Hardcore Justice. He does a shoot on some guy's random fucking porch. He does a kayfabe commentary with Sean Oliver. He does the face-off shoot with New Jack. And then he does some shoot in a chair on a public access show called Wrestling Talk, just taking calls from fans. Like Jake said, he, he truly gave everything for the fans. He would get so excited even in shoot interviews. He would talk about, oh, I've done 450 splashes, which I'd still, if anybody knows any footage, I'd love to see it. He talks about like, oh, you don't even know. I'm going to do, I'm going to do shooting star presses to the outside. <laughs> um, I don't think that ever happened. Cause, uh, when I was thinking, I was like, should I do research to try to find that? Nah. Cause we would fucking know if balls Mahoney did a shooting star <laughs> press to the outside. That would be on tape. I guess balls kind of went South towards the end. But, the, like, in the shoots where he's talking about Candido and his kid, he has so much fucking love for that kid. And it's not just like, oh, yeah, I have a son and I do lots of stuff for him. His words, his face, the inflection he puts on his words, he's there for him. Before he talks about all I used to do was just numb myself to the opportunities that I fucked up when I thought ECW was everything and I turned everything aside. But now I wake up. And I think about my kid, and I don't want to be hungover anymore. I, I look forward to the day because my kid means the world to me. Other surprises that I identify with, he uh, he, was a, he talked about serial killers a lot in the shoot interviews. He confused Ed Kemper with Arthur, Arthur Shawcross because he thought Shawcross cut his mom's head off. And I was the moron in my room going, no, 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 that was Ed Kemper. He, he said he got fined in the WWF for reading. He wouldn't be on the monitor. He would be reading fucking Harry Potter. Balls Mahoney, a big, scary biker, reading fucking Harry Potter is something that c- caught me off guard. Balls Mahoney, he was a good fisherman, apparently. He was a fucking boat captain. Balls Mahoney could play golf. It was just, it was all these things. When you look at that dude, judging a book by its cover, you, you just can't do it. He was a UFC fan. We would have been the best of friends. And he always talked about Dream matches. I, I always love when wrestlers talk about dream matches and shoot interviews because it shows the passion. I love when wrestlers show that they were fans to begin with. He wanted to have an exploding barbed wire match with Mick Foley, tons of thumbtacks, other gimmicks and weapons around the ring. In the shoot interview where he's talking about Chris Candido, in the last 45 minutes of that shoot, he shows how much love he had for him, and you can see how much he had to compose himself to get through this shit, because that was his childhood friend that died. It's just, I was, it was great fucking TV. I, I was, I, all the other stuff I heard about Balls, I didn't give a shit, because you could see in that moment how much he meant to him, and it was fucking amazing, man. 
All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tim Bell Pod. If you want to support this little podcast we do, head over to patreon.com slash Tim Bell Pod. We have some cool tiers over there. We'll give you a shout out on the podcast or else I'll have to start editing in 15 minutes of dick pill commercials, whether they sponsor us or not. I'll try to bring them up all organically like, oh, my God, Jake. How hard did Vader hit? Not as hard as my penis on these dick pills. Dude, that's good. So let's <laughs> let's avoid that. Let's uh, rate and review wherever you're listening. Help us trick those goddamn algorithms into thinking we have a WWE guy on the show. Uh, we're at Tim Bell Pod on all the social <laughs> medias. TimBellPod.com. Jake is very angry at Jake's me. Jake's eyebrows went, huh? Um, Nicolessa on the social medias. Manscout is Manscout Manning on all the social medias. Micah is on JTrotter27. Let on it ride. Best movie ever. Balls. 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 Oh, balls.